Hello and welcome to Science Off Camera. I'm Dr. Matthew Kozedun from Teledyne Photometrics, part of the Teledyne Imaging Group. In this podcast, I will be speaking with imaging specialists and industry leaders in scientific imaging from around the world about what they do, the advances they have made, and the cool imaging setups they have in their labs. Before we get started, if you're interested in learning more about scientific cameras and comparing technologies, we're currently holding live interactive remote learning sessions at our demo centers around the globe. Book a personalized session with one of our application specialists today on our website, photometrics.com. We also have an exciting new product launching soon, the Kinetics SCMOS, which delivers a frame rate and field of view unmatched by any other SCMOS camera. Book an online demonstration to see how it compares to current camera technologies. In this episode of Science Off Camera, I'm talking to Eli Rothenberg, Associate Professor of the Department of Biochemistry and Molecular Pharmacology at the NYU School of Medicine, about his life, his career in research, and how he's adapting to change in his world. I was having a look at your your website. It seems like you do some very interesting research. Uh, how did you get into doing single molecule biophysics? Do, have you always been interested in that kind of thing, or did it develop over time? Um... So, so my path uh, into this has been uh, somewhat non-traditional. So I was trained as a, as a physicist. Uh, and um, so my undergraduate is, is in physics. And then when I was about to uh, choose a lab uh, for my PhD, uh, I happened to uh, visit a lab that had all these lasers and you know, optical tables and instruments and people work with lasers on optical tables in the dark. And I found it fascinating, right? I, I, I looked at it and said, oh, working uh, long hours in the dark <clears throat> with just seeing lasers, this is where I want to spend the next uh, few years. <laughs> uh, nothing to do with biology. So at this point, I did not even know any biology. Uh, I didn't have any background in biology. I kind of skipped that part. Um, and I went to that lab studying what's uh, called quantum confinement effects uh, in semiconductors uh, nanocrystals. So, so the idea here is uh, quantum mechanics. Uh, it has to do with lasers and light and, and, and spectroscopy. Uh, when, you, uh, when you confine uh, the structure of, of this uh, of the semiconductors, then you have kind of strange effects. And every that knows quam dots, that's kind of the strange effect. You can excite them in any wavelength um, and, and get a very strong emission. So these are not molecules, these are uh, clusters, nanocrystals, basically. And I study this, the, their behavior. Um, now, because there's such a, a strong source of, of, they have a, a strong emission and, and, and you can engineer it to have Prime yield. Uh, these were some of the first thing to to look at the single molecule level. So, uh, if you dial back to the uh, '90s, you had a number of uh, physicists and physical chemists trying to look at these crystals, nanocrystals, at the single molecule level mm -hmm. to uh, get 
the identity of these things. So this is how I got into the single molecule uh, world, uh, so to speak. Uh, there were not too many people at that time uh, doing single molecule. I mean, the, it, it was growing movement, but it was still, uh, you know, very uh, well-defined uh, groups of people uh, doing single molecule, the instrumentation was was much more uh, challenging. And for me, my PhD was looking at these things at low temperatures, so around 10 Kelvin, right? Wow. And I, yeah, so so I had to build uh, these instruments to look at individual uh, uh, non nanoscopic quantities within a cryostat and uh, and this is connected to uh, vacuum and helium and, and all this uh, kind of things. And then he had to stabilize it and measure the light that comes from this, uh, these things, right? So that, that was my introduction to um, uh, microscopy and single molecule microscopy in general. And it was swell, it was really nice. Uh, I enjoyed the science. It was, I enjoyed the challenge uh, because you basically, you get to build an instrument from scratch and engineer it to measure whatever you're trying uh, to understand. Uh, but at, at that point, you know, these things are well, uh, you can well describe them quite well with an equation, uh, some kind of model. Yeah. Uh, which was good, but I have, I went to, uh, um, to a conference on um, on uh, material physics, semiconductors. It was one session that was on biological physics uh, or biological materials. And in this session, there was a few talks about single molecule imaging. And I'm looking at that. I'm looking at, I think it was microtubules uh, gliding on a, on a slide. Okay. Uh, with turf microscopy. And I'm looking at that. And I'm like, mm. wow, these things, there are things that actually do that. And at that time, no biology whatsoever. For me, uh, protein was, uh, was something, uh, I guess, that you look at the uh, nutritional value of, of, <laughs> of, uh, of food. So that was protein for me. And, 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 and same with DNA. It was not something I, I really understood. Um, but it, it, it kind of uh, started something. So, so I, I grew really interested toward the, you know, the end of my PhD, I started taking classes and, and, and reading more uh, about people that actually came from the field and of single molecule spectroscopy. So it wasn't even microscopy, it was single molecule spectroscopy and microscopy was a sub uh, thing of that because you would first, you know, seeing something, seeing the light from an individual uh, molecule or crystal was good, but then the light itself, just seeing, you know, a, a, a dot would not tell you much. You would need some more information and the people went into that field were the the background was from spectroscopy. So if 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 you know all of them were physical chemists uh, 
uh, or physicists that really like uh, chemistry. So if you think about um, Sunny G, or if you think about uh, W. E. Morner, um, uh, Eric Betzig, all these people, their background was physics, physical chemistry, and they were looking at uh, uh, some kind of uh, a way to to do better spectroscopy on, on a smaller scale. Um, so, so then some of these people started to migrate into biological questions, even asking questions like, okay, we see like blinking, blinking or fluorescent intermittency uh, as it was called back then was a big thing. If you, if you look back into uh, work published around the time, so many manuscripts published about the blinking phenomena and what it means in terms of excited state uh, electrons, et cetera, et cetera. And hopefully I'm not, you know, talking about uh, um, concepts that are too specialized, but, um, but people were talking about the blinking phenomena and uh, W. Warner published a paper saying GFP blinks, right? That was, a, I think, a nature paper. Mm. Um, so, so that's kind of how things, uh, began. I mean, people did not really focus on biological interactions from, from the single molecule, uh, spectroscopy slash microscopy that was different from, for optical, uh, uh, tweezers and magnetic tweezers. That was something else. Um, here people were asking about very fundamental questions about, you know, can we do that? And then apply to 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 uh, biological questions, uh, and more and more uh, people got into that. So some uh, Sunny G's uh, first landmark papers uh, were lifetime imaging of a, of a, um, of an enzyme. Uh, so the single molecule lifetime imaging and get the kinetics of of, of an enzyme. Uh, uh, now we take that for granted, but uh, I think it was a uh, you know you can derive information about about the heterogeneity of enzyme uh, population and get real kinetics from that type of measurements. Uh, then you say, okay, I, I've done that. What's next? So for me, when I start reading about the physics of biology, just the, the questions. That was such a rich source of imagination, right? I mean, the stuff you can do. So semiconductors are uh, uh, very useful entities, and you can ask questions. But here, the complexity and the challenge I found to be much higher. Mm. Uh, so I decided that this is what I'm going to do as a postdoc. I'll go to uh, to a lab that uh, can that does biophysics, we didn't even call it biophysics, we call it biological physics. It was an argument about is biophysics more uh, crystallography uh, and NMR application of physical method, uh, uh, well-defined to extract biological uh, phenomena, whereas biological physics is studying the physics of biological system. I think they merge at some point and you know, we're all very much method-based. What's nice with the with the physics is you don't have a well-defined, you approach a question 
and you build the experiments around that, and then uh, and then you, you get your your data and you try to interpret with a with a kind of a, a model that will fit that data and that specific experiments you ran. Um, so I went to do a postdoc at uh, University of Illinois Urbana Champaign. Uh, at the time, uh, there was a, a center for uh, biological physics. I think it was like the, the, the most, the, the really top uh, place. Uh, still is uh, one of the strongest ones. But at the time, there were several people that were doing uh, single molecule, very single molecule. And uh, shortly after I arrived, it was designated as a, as a center for the physics of living systems by the National Science Foundation. Uh, and I got to work with uh, three different groups there. Each one had their own uh, shtick. Each one had their own kind of range of interest. So, so that was a you know, nice thing for me to, to uh, get acquainted. So it was within the physics department. We're all physicists, so we, you know, we have the same language, which I found is quite different when you talk to biologists, the mm. language, the, how you communicate, how you discuss these uh, things. And, um, and I got to do a very interesting uh, project, talking to biologists, doing the instrumentation development and the computation part, uh, and looking at different, uh, um, different uh, biological problems. So kind of having a, a broader uh, view. And then uh, once I reach a point that in the postdoc that you look for a, a independent position, I had offers from physics departments and medical schools. So it was uh, even in the same area. Uh, and that was something for me, again, a challenge. Because I felt that in the physics department, I can keep doing whatever I did as a postdoc. But the interaction with biologists, the interaction with people that have a direct biological question uh, would be seamless when you're actually within a department surrounded by colleagues that that's their uh, background. They have, they're facing this question, this uh, problem, biological problem, and you can think about it and find ways to address it. Uh, so that's kind of, in a nutshell, <laughs> my, my, my path, minus all the uh, frustration and aggravation that occur in the world. It's a, it's a very interesting transition from physics to biology because I came from much the other direction. The collaborations between physics and biology really benefits everybody. You get biologists to learn a bit more about physics and they can inform their research better. And then you get physicists to learn about biology. And as you say, that has its advantages. So I think, yeah, this kind of transdisciplinarity can only produce positive results, I think. Yeah, yeah, I, I I totally agree. I mean, at, at the end of the day, we all, you know, each and every one of us knows something the other person doesn't, right? It has mm. some expertise or, or skill or abilities that, you know, the other scientist does not. And, and right now in my lab, I have uh, biochemists and chemists and cell biologists and physicists and physical chemists 
and all the you know all the mixture people some people can code much better some people can transfix cells much better or um uh, or or play around with uh genes uh can purify proteins and uh and that's okay i mean we cannot do it all uh but we can appreciate what other people the way other people think about a problem uh and and combine forces mm -hmm. so, so so essentially in science what we do is solve problems right yeah if you do an experiment that runs every time and it's just seamless you know i for me i find it boring right okay it's working every time you know how can we challenge how we can do better measure something better push the uh the technology farther to measure something people have not measured before right mm -hmm. so it could be application of a powerful tool on something that people have not done or it could be develop farther development of a tool on something people have done but now because the tool is much better you can you can look at it but it, it, but at the end of the day even things that people take for granted like uh transfecting cells or running westerns uh, unless it's uh, the control, things happen, right? Uh, and not always the way you plan. Yes. So, so doing science is requires uh, skill. Uh, it requires expertise, and it's not just following uh, some protocol, you know. And you just do all this stuff, and you get, you know, like baking a cake. And even baking a cake. Uh, as somebody tried to do it a few times and did not work, I would say it's not that straight. So if you think about baking a cake, you, you buy the cake, you do whatever they tell you, but because uh, the temperature or the humidity or something, something is off or you did not take into, and then you don't have the, the cake, the way it looks on the box, you know, science is a bit more complex than that. So even the, the trivial things, uh, that we consider are not straight. Um, I do definitely approach my recipes like it's a standard operating protocol, you know, make sure everything's yeah. right. What's the pH of the room right now? You know, <laughs> this cake's yeah. under the wrong pressure. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, you know, and, and we all know that if you grow uh, a cell uh, and it grows pretty nicely in your uh, tissue culture uh, um, incubator, and then you, you take the cell into a different lab and it's the same brand of uh, uh, tissue culture incubator, but your cell is starting to die, right? Yeah. Or something, you know, different happens. Same manufacturer, you look at the uh, variable, it's the same thing. And that's, I think, what's unique about science and what the public should understand that, you know, they see science in, I know, Star Wars, that I have a droid that fixes <laughs> a, a machine on the fly, you know, but uh, th there's, there's something about the thing that somebody did it. Somebody thought about the algorithm that the droids use, somebody programmed that. Mm -hmm. And, and, and it, it requires a lot of skill and expertise and work uh, to get to a semi-perfect uh, thing. And there's always room for improvement. So what kind of work does your combined forces do at the moment? So, so right now, so, so we're a single molecule uh, lab, which 
it doesn't mean we just look at just the one molecule. Uh, we use single molecule techniques uh, and we have diverse uh, techniques to, to ask questions, right? So we don't use just one method. It, it starts with a question. Uh, predominantly, we look at, at uh, genome integrity and DNA repair, DNA replication, and events associated to that uh, with relevance to, uh, to cancer and, and other um, uh, dysfunction. So we're trying to understand at the biochemical level and the cellular level uh, what mutation in essential pathway that makes sure that, that DNA is, is uh, uh, replicated in a um, faithful manner. Mm. If you have mutation in that, what, what do we see in the cell? And we're trying to define that at a very uh, sub-level. And then we also uh, study individual proteins uh, with single molecule biochemical tools, like single molecule FRED uh, and single molecule binding. Um, and uh, so, so, so what we do from the method uh, part that is within the umbrella of single molecule, we have the biochemistry looking at uh, um, recombinant proteins that we purify and how they interact with DNA, RNA, with one another, form complexes, and carry out their activity. Um, and and that's, that's a more well-established kind of arena, but the application, there is so much more stuff we can do uh, to the degree of understanding drug interaction uh, and how it affects key proteins. Um, and just resolve things that pe when people run jail, they, they just do not see, so, such as intermediates and, and, um, and substates. Hmm. And then uh, on the cellular level, what we do is uh, uh, store microscopy. So we apply multicolor store microscopy, predominantly to look at the nucleus of the cell and trying to understand how proteins interact with, uh, with uh, DNA uh, chromosome uh, structure, uh, replication for transcription sites, uh, and, and how these things uh, um, coexist in the cell. Uh, what happens when we have mutations that are, um, are uh, prone to the disease, uh, such as BRCA uh, in breast cancer and, um, and some uh, immune deficiencies. And then uh, the, uh, the other stuff that we've been doing quite a lot uh, in the past few years is live cell imaging, a single molecule live cell imaging, trying to understand the motion of the proteins in different compartments in the cell or on the surface of the cell and how this relates to, uh, to uh, key mechanisms in biology. Oh, okay. You get the uh, the videos of the sort of the the proteins walking along the tubules, that kind of thing. So you know we we get that as well. Um, we from the perspective of DNA damage, uh, we're interested in what happens when a cell is exposed to a drug, uh, radiation, or or, or mm. uh, and has to repair its its DNA. Uh, and this has been fascinating uh, for me. Looking at these movies uh, has been 
um, just just amazing. Uh, you see stuff and, and you look at it again and again. And uh, at some point, I thought I'll just cancel Netflix and just watch these <laughs> movies. The depth and the richness of information that you have in these single molecule movies inside, inside the cell is just uh, astonishing to me. And, and for all of us, just to get that kind of information. Right now, we have it working in uh, simultaneously uh, three color imaging, so we can monitor processes uh, in the cell uh, in real time. Have you used your experience in building imaging systems to do this, or do you have a, a lab full of uh, custom-made microscopes? Nothing in the lab that we have uh, is uh, custom-made. So, so we're very much into building a system that will measure the specific feature you're trying to uh, to get. Hmm. Um, so, in fact, if it's a if it's a push button system. I think as scientists, it's kind of, and I understand that the, the more system we have, the more complexity we have, uh, there's some kind of a need to buy something off the shelf. But as scientists, I think it, we, we must understand what, uh, what the method we're uh, using, what, what's the fine details of the methods, what's the limitation of the method. Right. Mm -hmm. We have to understand the hardware, the software, not to the degree that we are the, the developers. Not everybody can do that. Uh, but at least in, in, in my lab, from the microscopy point of view, uh, we use a frame and then we build everything on this frame in terms of the cameras and lasers and, and stuff like that. So we we have nothing that is uh, that is. Uh, customized it like a solution in the box uh, and we like it more like that because again it doesn't limit us to what the company envisioned that the experiment should be the only limitation is our ability to control these machines and make it go our way mm. right? so in a sense if you think about a car a car manufacturer makes a car that goes you know this you know that amount of gas you use and that is, you know, the speed that you go. But if you're, you know how to build your own car, right? <laughs> then you can make it fly. Get it just the way you want it. Yeah. So, so you basically designate whatever you need that car to do. Does it need to go on terrain? Does it need to go on the road? You know, so that's up to you, right? Uh, and it gives you a lot of flexibility. Uh, and, and, and you also see the innovation that happened, you know, in, in technology over the, over the time. When I started my PhD buying a laser, you know, just laser, it's such an expensive ordeal, mm. right? Now you can buy an extremely cheap laser that has a very nice mode and build an instrument quite fast. Cameras, when, when I started and, and, you know, maybe that's something that, uh, I guess I, I should emphasize, uh, when I started doing imaging, uh, the gold standard of cameras were the, uh, the ones that you pour liquid nitrogen into the camera, okay? And that would cool down so you, your, your, uh, your noise, your dark noise will go down 
you have 98 uh, or 9% quantum efficiency, but then you had to do long exposure. So you couldn't go with the frame rate was not very fast. Mm. And then you got uh, a, a new camera that was not uh, like the 90% quantum efficiency, but it was much faster, uh, had a different dynamic range. And, um, but it was 60, uh, 65% quantum efficiency. Mm. That's what I started when I did, uh, uh, when I started do, doing single molecule. So 65% quantum efficiency and it was front illuminated. Okay. That was, that was a technology you had to, uh, subtract the, uh, the gain on the electron from the front, right? Then I, I started my postdoc and, uh, and the EMCCD camera came to be. And these were wonderful. So I remember when I started postdoc, I, I, I go into lab, I'm seeing like a, a, a room filled with, you know, customized microscope. All of them have Android cameras, okay, the EMCCD uh, camera. And um, that was the first model of the EMCCD. And the room next door has all the old cameras that the, this lab used, right? Uh, because they were obsolete. Now you have something better, something that does not have the noise. Whatever your pixels are, are better, you can see the single molecule in a much clearer way. And I thought, that's it, right? This is the camera that, you know, we don't need anything better than that. Uh, a few years ago, uh, um, we're thinking of buying more cameras. And then we said, okay, let's try this new CMOS camera uh, from, uh, uh, from Photometrics and uh, the, the, uh, the Prime 95B. And I was skeptical. I have to say, I, I, you know, EMCCD versus uh, CMOS technology, it's different technology. The way you sum on the pixels is different. Uh, and I thought it would not be able, in terms of the uh, of of the uh, capture efficiency, uh, would not be able to beat it because I was a a, a big believer in EMCCD, and now we don't have any EMCCD uh, really running in our systems. Now we all have CMOS. So so looking at the technology, how it evolved. You have to do that because we're a, a very technology-based uh, uh, field of science. Mm. So, so it's the lasers, the they're very affordable now. It's the type of lenses that you can buy nowadays with uh, with a really nice numerical aperture, and it's the cameras. And, and, and this gives you so much flexibility to do any type of experiment uh, or any type of, of building that uh, can really drive the next question. And you can only imagine where all that technology is going to go in terms of, you know, how fast you can image, how easily you can get different pieces of equipment. Where is the technology going to evolve next? Because uh, there are some questions I think people have, and they're kind of just waiting for the technology to catch up to the point where they can answer those questions. Yeah, I think, I mean, you know, first of all, I think that many people are not aware to, uh, 
at some point, the technology requires a lot of skill and people need to be aware of what the technology can give you and not to have also kind of false expectations, right? Because hmm. you cannot detach the technology from, from the actual experiment, right? It's not, there's no magic solution here. Um, and asking what this will lead to and what is the kind of uh, limits of this technology, I, I don't have a, a, a clue because I was skeptical to begin with uh, and I remember as a postdoc, I was, I, was, uh, I was kind of discussing the ability to do live cell imaging. Uh, that was like 2006. Uh, the, the first paper uh, from, uh, from Eric Betzig and Xiao Wei Zhuang uh, came, came out. So she had the storm paper in Nature Method. He had uh, uh, palm uh, imaging um, in uh, was it science or, or something like that, a and uh, identi basically identical methods. And and now we ask, do we ever think it will be in live cells? Is this something that would you know can single molecule imaging in live cells be realized to to be uh, really gain information? Uh, and I was skeptical. I was said, man, no, nah. I mean, you know, these things are not stable. GFP for at least right away, you know, there's cameras, you need to integrate. But obviously this is, you know, a large part of my lab does it now. So I, I wouldn't be able to predict because it depends on the people that, that, that go to the uh, microscopy room, decide to build something and ask the question and they're being creative and skillful enough to, to, uh, to challenge the, um, the field or, or, or push the technology forward. Hmm. So, so I'm, I'm, I think we'll see great things. Uh, now I'm, I sound like a politician, but um, <laughs> I, I'm still, I think we're, we're still not even touching the tip of the iceberg in terms of what still can be done with this uh, technology. Hmm. Uh, one of the problems that we're facing specifically is analysis. So we have this, this ability to do three color storm, but taking this uh, storm images and analyzing whatever molecular complexes occur in the cell and what's random colocalization versus a real complex, that has been uh, a huge challenge for us. Uh, and I think for the entire field, because the, it's a computational uh, value problem. And then that's for three colors. And now we have a solution, but what happened when we do four colors? Mm. What happened when we do five colors? And, and, and we can potentially do that. But then how do you analyze this data, right? So, so it's not just seeing this stuff, it's not just having the instrument, it's having way to analyze the data uh, and extract valuable information. Because it's there, but when you go down to the real complexity of, of the cell, uh, it's not like the cartoons in, in textbooks. Yeah, uh, <laughs> if only.
yeah the nuclei is a perfect circle yeah everything is a perfect circle and uh and i mean in in storm images uh in palm usually people show structured proteins so microtubules and, and we know these exist and they look really nice but most of the proteins in the cell or most of the complexes are amorphous uh so they're not forming this well-defined uh structures and that's what we have to address that's the question we're we're trying to uh to figure out have your lab been able to do much uh much of that figuring out and analysis over this period uh i'm not sure what position you're in at the moment have people started coming back in or are they still uh working from home so we've been um we've been a bit uh lacking in terms of um we've been a part of the uh the pilot reopening phase here at uh new york university uh the medical center where we actually opened the lab around i think it was may 21st so so our lab has been running in almost full capacity we, we have to adhere to uh distancing guidelines and and wear uh um a mask and also uh we have an app we, we all had to get tested we have an app in terms of daily symptom check and stuff like that mm. um so but we were uh, uh one of the labs that opened early on and uh when we were not open uh we still had the data analysis so 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 a portion of the lab is is doing data analysis so we have a, a dry lab area that have gaming computers to be able to uh, to run uh, these uh, strange algorithms, and maybe also, hopefully not, but you know, maybe people also play some games on them. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, so so my lab, all the computers are gaming. Also, for the instruments, are all gaming computers that have you know strong ability, and we do a lot of GPU uh, based analysis. And we've been able to do that uh, even when people were away. Yeah, having used my gaming computer as a home office, it's a lot smoother than any uh, any laptop I've encountered. Yeah, I mean, for us, it's also when we do it here. Um, so transferring the data from the from the instrument, the microscopes, to the computer. That's uh, so we have a dark fiber here. So it goes really, really fast. Uh, if you think about uh, moving terabytes of data from <laughs> from from the server here to to your home computer, that's that's a, a big challenge. Uh, and the thing is, our the cameras they produce terabytes of data per experiment, and and we have uh, we, we have numerous experiments a day on each of of the instrument and we have multiple instruments. So a lot of data. Yeah, so we have uh, one, two, we have about, um, I think eight different instruments. Is it seven or eight different instruments? Uh, and I think about 1.5 that times cameras because some instruments have two cameras, uh, some have three. 
So if you think about the, uh, the data and storage, that's just a lot. Mm. Uh, and that's also a problem in analysis because if, if you think about uh, SMOS camera, they have uh, X amount of, of megapixels, but now you, each pixel you reconstruct it uh, and you have a, a, a store image um, now your pixels are 10 nanometers, right? Mm. So, so, so you have to analyze, so you have to store this information and you have to analyze all these different channels, right? For each image. So these are really, really big uh, data sets. Yeah, you kind of need to get each new piece of equipment with a big hard drive or a big piece of cloud storage. Yeah, so we have we have locally here we have our own designated uh, server, and yeah, each each uh, instrument have um, a gaming computer attached to it that has everything really really fast, uh, and like um, solid state drives that uh, have RAM, so they can uh, do everything simultaneously. And it's all got red, green, and blue lights on it because it's a gaming computer. Yeah, <laughs> it's got more lasers than the imaging system. Yeah, the the keyboard is kind of you know it has all these uh, colors and uh, and we have because we buy it as a system, it's customized. It comes with uh, earphones, so we have a drawer filled with gaming earphones. Nobody uses them, <laughs> um, so uh, just we have somewhere in lab like a, a drawer filled with this gaming. Uh, earphones with uh, the change color, and et cetera, et cetera. So um, uh, I wonder why nobody in the lab uses it. So, so maybe they're not doing gaming after all. <laughs> I, they've been to a number of sort of very, these labs are all kept very dark for need of the imaging. And they used to have a sort of like rainbow lit keyboard up in the corner. It's the only light in the room. It's like how you navigate around. Yeah, so we have the keyboard like that. So I think also the keyboard now they have all wireless. So they have a wireless mouse and a wireless keyboard. And uh, so the the only light kind of strange light comes from the um, from the full tower from the you know from the box itself of the computer. Um, I, I think I should I should send you some pictures of of the lab. Um, oh yeah, can, I love that kind uh, of thing. Yeah, I, I, the, our website is not really updated. Uh, we actually expanded quite a lot, um, and uh, and we moved uh, to another location. So, uh, so I have to kind of introduce that. Um, yeah. So, so, so our lab is is has the the outer shell of a normal biology lab. So we got the tissue culture and, and the biochemistry and, and, the, um, and everything that we'd see. But then in the back, we have uh, uh, this uh, suite that have uh, all, all the, uh, the microscopes. And it's uh, partitioned by uh, curtains. So each instrument have a different curtain uh, around it. And, um, and we, uh, we practice uh, social distancing within this, uh, these rooms. So I think for people who want to practice social distancing, being in a 
in a in a dark room by yourself. You know, now is the time to do single molecule analysis. It's it must be quite difficult to social distance with imaging because you often end up crowded around the same microscope and imaging system, and it's not like they're meters across. You're often quite close together, often in a yeah, but small so so yeah, so each system is uh, enclosed with a curtain around it, okay, and it goes all the way to the ceiling. It's got its own, so each system ha has its own um, airflow closed loop airflow. Uh, um, so, so it's not in the sense of, is it six feet or, or eight feet, or that's not exactly the, um, um, the question. I mean, naturally when, when people work in different systems, they can be, uh, quite apart in that room. So it's, it's quite a big, uh, suite. Each person works by themselves on the microscope when they uh, they do acquisition. Uh, that's kind of the strategy. We have we have many different users, uh, many different collaborators that train how to use these instruments, and they uh, and they come here and uh, and learn it, and and then they become independent and, and just run their experiments. Okay. Uh, but the bottleneck for what we do is analysis. It always will be analysis mm -hmm. because for a, for a good session and for like four hours, three hours of experiment, you have uh, a few days of analysis attached to it. Did you find yourself missing the lab when you weren't able to go in? So I, I try to, to come into the lab, at least see that everything, um, you know, nothing is burning or, you know, everything is in order. Uh, but yes, uh, I think for me, doing scientific research is, uh, is an addiction, right? Mm. I just find, you know, uh, an addiction that I can keep this addiction going. Uh, but ever since as a, as a PG student that I found myself in a dark room with lasers and the ability to use mirrors and, 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 and combine lasers and play with the optics and think about experiments. Uh, it just became an addiction that I kept thinking about it. Uh, it's, it's the type of addiction that if you're away from the lab, for me at least, uh, it, it's actually, there's some, some pain involved. Uh, although I don't, I, I don't do, uh, bench work anymore uh unfortunately uh they don't let me anymore uh <laughs> but um the need i mean this is how i got to do what i do it's 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 by uh going into these dark rooms looking at the optics getting excited on from the images that you acquire the with the cameras and all the gizmos and the gadgets. So uh, it's still the same. It's 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 there's a rush to it that uh, that I'm really excited about. And, and you get to think, oh, I can build this, I can do that, I can measure this, I can measure that. So being away from the lab has always been difficult for me. So now we're open. Now now the medical center, every, all the labs are open, everything is functioning. Mm. Uh, we keep social distancing, so we have to maintain one person uh, in each bay, uh, but 
everything is up and running and uh, people pushing data and, and producing uh, more results. So, so it hasn't been, uh, yeah, we've been up and running for more than, uh, than a month now. Oh, that's fantastic. Well, it's it's been fantastic to speak with you. Thanks very much Same for your here. time. Same here. Thanks again to my guest, Eli Rothenberg. If you like this podcast, please follow Photometrics on social media for more episodes and check out photometrics.com for the latest in scientific camera technology for life sciences, such as the Kinetics SCMOS camera. We also host episodes that focus more on physical science applications, such as near-infrared, X-ray imaging, and spectroscopy, partnering with Teledyne Prints and Instruments. Follow them on social media to see when the next episode is released. See you next time, and stay safe.